should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting that. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. Tuesday, August 26th. <laughs> I never know. It's the 25th. What day it is? I am so sorry for missing yesterday's show. Um, it, you know, I I ate something that was just not sitting right with me, and I find that as I get older, there are lots of things that I might be allergic to now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Well, it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. Our good friend John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John, welcome. Thank hey. you. Yeah. I don't know if uh, the same thing happens to you, but, you know, are there is there anything out there that you used to eat, you used to enjoy, and today you just can't do it anymore? I don't know. When I get to be as old as you, I might find that that's an issue, but <laughs> I'm still in the bloom of youth. And, uh, no, I mean, I know my mother had, when she, I mean, older than you, but she developed an allergy to soy. Oh. Which is in just about everything. Everything. So that became a, a big challenge for her to figure out. Yeah. You know? You could, could you, if she went out to a restaurant, she'd have to bring her own bread. Yeah. I, 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 uh, well, I interviewed Lily Tomlin, um, How Saturday. did that go? How did that go? Oh my gosh. I was so nervous and I wasn't nervous. I met Paul Whites, uh, the director, you know, and, and, and writer of the, their new film, Grandma. Mm -hmm. And I was totally fine, even though he's a, an accomplished director, Nutty Professor, American Pie. Um, I could, you know, sit down and talk to him for days about, my adolescent years, but <laughs> <laughs> back when I could eat anything. Yeah, back think. when I could eat anything, including pie. Um, uh, but uh, but when she walked out, she just was so personal, personal, and so nice, mm -hmm. and looked me straight in the eye and was like, "Hello," and I just froze, like shit. She's like. <laughs> that close to me and I just watched this woman on you know the big screen I watched mm -hmm. uh, I did the whole you know Grace and Frankie uh, thing the entire season totally looking forward to season two um, on Netflix and of course you know just knowing her from her her other work and being a legend in not only you know women's rights group but especially in, in the lesbian community mm -hmm. um, so man I think that that was the toughest interview I've ever had to do. Wow. That's saying something. Just because I admire her so mm -hmm. much and she's so smart. Really? Yeah. I thought that, you know, I mentioned some names and some women's rights um, issues and she just came at me with like a ton of other stuff that I didn't know. And I, I went home feeling kind of bad and talked to my partner <laughs> about it. And she's like, you have to remember she's about three times your age and has lived through a lot and knows a lot. Uh, I, th I think just sitting there being able to talk to her, you, you can say you've accomplished something great too. <laughs> yes. Well, she's getting uh, Oscar talk for this movie. Have you seen the movie Grandma? Yeah, I got the opportunity to see it. It's freaking hilarious. Okay. But uh, Paul White's, I mean, I told him during the interview, 
and I shouldn't give too much away because we'll eventually air the interview here in the program and on our television show. Um, but I told him that I felt like he was like a lesbian or <laughs> a woman trapped in a man's body just mm-hmm. because he got the dialogue um, so spot on between the three generations of women mm-hmm. in this movie, Grandma. But but also, you know, the, the, the kind of things that lesbians go through, um, you know, like when you get to a certain age and you date, you have you look you know, you're dating, you most likely you're probably going to be dating someone younger. And then there's the issues of dating someone younger and then of the same sex. And man, this movie was awesome. Wow. And yeah. is it, when does it open or is it already out? Here in the San Francisco Bay Area opens um, this Friday, the 28th. I think that it's already opened in the New York area. So if you're out there, make sure you check your listings. But I absolutely do think that um, you should go watch it. Anyone should go watch it. It's timely because of all the discussion that talks about women's rights, women's issues, yeah. including the defunding of Planned Parenthood. This movie centers and focus uh, focuses on um, Lily Tomlin's character and her granddaughter who needs to, they need, they go around raising money to try to get an abortion for mm-hmm. the young girl. Um, and so anyway, without giving away too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, congrats on the Lily Tomlin interview. That, Thank that's you. That's a, a very rare opportunity. Yeah, it is. It is. And I got a picture. I asked her, I was like, it, it's probably so amateur of me to ask for a picture. And I think going in that way and being humble probably won some brownies because, I mean, that was pretty cool for her. But, you know, um, today's show is a great show. We've oh, got yes. some deep discussions. We're going to talk about uh, LGBT lives in the Middle East and our guests uh, will have a lot to talk about that. First, though, before we get to our guests, I do want to picks uh pick something or talk about something with you which is the the uh the situation with donald trump are are you going to ask what is up with donald trump why is he still the front runner for the republican party he is he continues to be that person who just says i you know refuse to go along with the way things are going in the party in the country and so there's that you know portion of the population that is just upset and angry they don't care that all the dots aren't connected you know, that it doesn't necessarily all make that great sense. And we're not really going to spend billions of dollars deporting, you know, every single person here is here illegally. That doesn't matter. They want someone who's going to, you know, knock all the stuff off the shelves and just say, this isn't working for us anyway. Start over. Plan again. So what are your thoughts as someone who focuses on politics? And I mean, you still think that you still think that he is he's absolutely the the weak chance i mean at the you know we still have a lot of time obviously mm-hmm. until we get to 2016 that he'll just be knocked out of the race or i don't know there's there's conflicting stuff there's talk you know where he supposedly has said that he would spend up to a billion dollars of his own money well i suspect that's more bluster than actuality you know he's all about money um and it's he i don't think he would win i don't think i still don't think he would get the nomination I mean, what you need to get the nomination in either party is a ground game. And who has a ground game? The Clintons and the Democrats. And on the right, it's the Bush, you know, both of them. People talk about, you know, oh, we don't want to have these two dynasties, but they've got all the networks and the people who are willing to, you know, That's drive right. elderly people That's to right. uh, the voting booths and everything. Well, so I think he's going to make a lot of noise and he's going to probably get certain things adopted in the platform and you know the other candidates already are kind of listening to him more in the same way that Bernie Sanders talking to huge crowds and having a big impact 
he's you know having an impact on whatever the Democrats are going to do. Well, let's get our program started, and thank you for that. And just to remind you, John does his political uh, roundtable talk week to week, and that airs this Friday right here on the Progressive Voices Network at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest was persecuted by both the Syrian military and by the fighters of Jabhat al-Nusra, an affiliate of al-Qaeda, and even fighters from ISIS, the the Islamic State group. He fled his home near Damascus and is now a refugee who spoke out during an address to the United Nations Security Council. So here to speak with us about his ordeal, as well as the need for LGBTQI protections in the Middle Eastern countries, is Subi Nahas. Subi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, let's start with your own personal history. I think that that's important context before we even have a general discussion about LGBTQ lives in the Middle East. Um, talk to us about being a part of the LGBTQ community, coming out in Syria, and and maybe even you know what was what was uh, your childhood like. Well, first we start by saying that there is no solid foundation for the LGBT community in the in Syria. We, we don't have an LGBT community, and as as an LGBT man in Syria, growing up as and as an LGBT child is very very difficult, because if you want to come out, you have to understand and calculate the risks, and it's like it's very very dangerous for you. Did can I ask? Were were you religious? Or are you from a religious family? I mean, was that an issue at all in in how you know you you no. Did, no? I mean, no, my family was not religious, and so I had lots of issues about that. It's more about the community issue. It's not about religious issue mm-hmm. to them. And, and I'm sorry, I wasn't clear. And, and, you know, of course, coming out is very dangerous for LGBTQ people in the area. Um, you yourself, I, I know you mentioned in an article that being different, uh, you can be a target for some of these hate groups. Uh, you know, did you feel different? You look different? I mean, how were you different in where you grew up? Well, I always felt different, and I walked a little bit different. I behaved a little bit different uh, from other the other children that were in school, and that was very, very difficult. That put me in a situation where I was isolated most of my most of my high school and primary school, and people did not want to associate it associated with me not to be called names. I was harassed in the street. I, my family did not approve of my behaviors and they were criticizing me all the time. So just, it is very, very like, stressful life to, to be a gay man in, in Syria or in the Middle East in general. You, you were mentioning kind of how the community reacts and the pressure you get from other folks there, but if you're different, what, what I, I'm assuming government policy was not friendly toward. I mean, what is it explicitly illegal? Are are do are people jailed for being uh, LGBT? What what's it like? Well, it is illegal. We have the Article 520 in the Penal Code. Uh, it it says like any sexual act against the nature, and it's very it's punishable uh, by prison up to three years, and it's uh, they it's active. It's not yeah. I want to fast forward to your, you know, first um, experience maybe when faced with uh, danger, uh, when you really felt like you, you know, were being persecuted for being gay. Can you tell us about that that moment? 
Well, at that moment, I, I was I was still living with my family, and Jabhat Nusra just took over the the hometown that I was living in, and they gained more every day. They gained more power, and they were in, putting checkpoints, and they were putting like uh, invading spaces, and they started to search people. And they one day they arrested a man, and he was a little bit effeminate, different from others, and they started to torture him, and. After that, they, they, they knew that he was gay, and they started to do the, they went to the mosque, and they announced at the mosque that they would cleanse the city with, from anybody that engaged or involved in any sodomy act or action. And that, that moment, I felt threatened directly because if they ever reached me or if they ever saw me in the street, that would be very big trouble for me. And, and I did not have the support from my family or the community. So that, would be very, that was very, very scary. So what did you do? I mean, did you kind of start thinking you needed to get out of there? I mean, if this group is controlling your town, um, could you flee? Yeah. Or what were, you, what were your options? Yeah, I, I, the only option that I had at that, that time was to stay home and never go out. And just, uh, I relayed on my, my brother to do, to, to, to all my events and things, other things. And that was very isolating, but I was working at the same time to, to, to save or escape route. So, I, but at the same time, they were escalating. The problems between me and the clashes between me and my dad were escalating. So, until like something really physically violent happened, and by that time, I was already planning to go to Lebanon, and I communicated with a few friends there, and one of them agreed to host me for a few months until I get more and more relaxed and settled in Lebanon. I think I'm gonna. Sorry, Subia. I think I'm going to take a quick break right here uh, because our next question. I want to turn our attention to the, the Islamic State, just because that's the you know what what a lot of people are seeing and hearing right now in terms of the horrendous LGBT treatment. And I want to apply that and talk about your address. So stay with us. Okay. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The inspirational street requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7 p.m. at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2 p.m. at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com. Streetrequiem.blogspot.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And on the phone is Subi Nahas. He's a refugee who escaped Syria and has been persecuted by both the Syrian military and fighters of Jabhat al-Nusra and even fighters from ISIS, the Islamic State group. So, Subi, I mentioned before the break I wanted to bring that up. Um, there, I mean, obviously for a lot of people who follow news uh, from Syria and what's happening with ISIS has, has noticed that there have been beheadings of LGBT people. Um, there's even a quote in your address uh, just recently to UN representatives that you said, if a victim did not die after being hurled off a building by ISIS, the townspeople stoned him to death. This was to be my fate too. So it sounds like for yourself, you have, uh, you have even, uh, you, you know this is to be, this is true. This is all happening. Yes, it is. It is. And you see that it's all over the, the social media. They, they celebrate it and they just post it online. It's all over the social media. It's videos and images. They are everywhere. Uh, yeah, well, that does seem to be the way Islamic State does this stuff. It's like any, any act of brutality that they do that just shocks everyone else, they actually take that as an, a reason to push it and, and to scare their opponents. So, yeah, it's not like they would have done this and then said, oh, sorry, you know, that didn't really happen. Um, did, did you witness any of this happening or you heard about it happening? Well, I heard, like, my, some, some of my friends were there and they, they reported that, that they saw it. So, but uh, actually, like, seeing, seeing this in my own eyes, uh, I, did not, I did not see it. It's, 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 I was so scared to get out, even if it was happening. It's, I did not see ISIL. I saw Jabhat al-Nusra and, and the other groups like Arashan doing violations, yes, and, and abusing and torturing gay people, but not ISIL. Mm-hmm. And not ISIL. And, and an, a big part of this, the, the Islamist groups are, you know, the, the so-called international fighters, the, the folks who are from outside. Did you recognize any of these folks as, as locals, or do you think they, they came from outside of Syria? I mean, do you have any sense of who was actually there doing these things? Well, the people that are implementing the executions, I don't know because they, they have like these big beards and these like different facial features. I don't know if they are from the country or not. But we heard a lot and we know that there's some foreign fighters that are coming and joining ISIL. I think for a lot of people, especially here um, in this country, you know, when we talk about LGBT rights in uh, the Middle East, there seems to be... Um, 
some miseducation or not enough education around the culture in the Middle East. And so I wanted, you know, to get your thoughts on why LGBTQ people are the most or heavily persecuted within that region and, you know, why, why ISIL, ISIS, uh, you know, a lot of these, these uh, very extreme groups would target gay people. Well, gay people in the Middle East, because they were targeted before, before the, these uprisings or before the Arab Springs, they were targeted by, by states and that made them very weak and vulnerable. They did not have a chance to make a community, so that would be really, that would make them a really easy target. And uh, these groups, they don't have anything to offer to the community that they invade or they, they take over. So they offer them, like, we will protect you from LGBT people and we will protect the morality of your community and they will gain validation, they will gain support from the community for doing that. And that would make, that, that, that makes us always a target, especially in that region. So bring us to, how did, how did this lead to addressing the United Nations? I mean, that, that's, how, did you become, how did you come to their attention and how did you uh, decide what you were going to say to this group? Well, because I was, uh, when I was in Turkey reading for my settlement, I, I met this, uh, the, the organization ORAN, uh, Organization for Refuge, Asylum, and Migration. And uh, I was working with them while I was in Turkey, waiting for my resettlement. And I, when I was resettled, I, I continued to work with them. And I'm still doing refugee work, and the UN, uh, the U.S. representative contacted the, the organization and asked, asked if, if they have any LGBT refugees willing to testify. And the CEO, the CEO of the organization, Neil Greengrass, contacted, like, gave me the, the, told me about the idea and, it, and, and connected me with them. So when you decided, when you heard that and you were, you are like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Were you scared? Did, 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 you, no, did was, you know what you wanted scared. to say? Yeah, I did not say yes immediately. It, okay. it was scary. There were lots of risks surrounding that. And they're, they're, like, you get nervous, like there are ambassadors and they're, they're the country, and you're scared for your safety or maybe your family's safety, and maybe there's something going to go wrong. And, but, but at the end of the day, you think about it, and you think you really need to do it for the people who escape. Yeah, and who need really need help and support to get out and to, to go to, to safety, and that's part of our work that we do in Iran. So I really felt that I need to do that. So your your address is actually online where people can read it. But so why don't you give our listeners though just a, a brief summary of what you said, what what you wanted to tell the UN and really the world. I wanted to tell the UN and the world my story, and I wanted them to hear it from a like a person that in front of them that that is not over the phone and and I wanted them to, to I, I wanted to them to know that the struggle and the fear is real and what's going on inside Syria is real and there are lots of people outside Syria and going out to Syria and they need help they need your, they need support and and to empower the people who's helping them like like what we're doing and to, to do something like, especially for the LGBT refugees that I left behind when I was resettled. So I really, really feel for them and I need them to get out because in Turkey and the other parts of the world, it's getting really harder and harder. And, and there are lots of persecution and lots of like, violence. 
So what was your reception there at the UN like? How did, did, did anyone talk, any of the ambassadors or the other representatives talk to you afterward and follow up? Or was it just a thank you for speaking and they moved on to the next person? No, there, was, there, there was a reception and the local ambassadors were very compassionate and they were left talking about it and they were like telling me their feedback about the story and how they felt about it. And they were really positive feedback, really positive people. And I really... I really hope and I know that there will be change, but it will be slow, but there will be change, and I hope that they will open their, their hearts and they open their doors to the, to the LGBT refugees around the, the region so, and gave them safe haven. Subi, you know, I uh, also saw the art- article on BuzzFeed, and they had mentioned that it was, you know, two gay men had escaped ISIS. And, um, you know, the number of people who actually escape these conditions are obviously extremely small. Um, when we talk about human rights, uh, when some of our presidential even candidates, you know, today, like Hillary Clinton, has been vocal about human rights that include LGBT rights. So you truly believe that a country like America can put some pressure in the Middle East to also save lives of gay, lesbian, bi, trans people in the Middle East from these extreme organizations, right? Well, what I believe in is, first, there's two things to do. First is to empower the people that really got safety because... And to give them a slot, to give them a chance in a safer life outside Syria for now, because it's very, very difficult, and there's no human rights at the moment in the region to talk about LGBT rights. So what we can do is empower the people that got out and to help them to resettle into a safer place, and maybe, maybe the rest that that we can help them to empower them to, 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 to keep them safe in that transit country or in the countries that they are in, and maybe in the neighboring country, and help them to, to stay safe and help them to, to, to feel better about themselves. And I don't mean to also, you know, I don't want to take away from the progress. I mean, I think having you speak up to the United Nations Security Council uh, was was a, a, a great big step. And uh, just to mention, I mean, there were other member nations who attended. Uh, I think, you know, some of those uh, countries include African nations, um, uh, Latin countries and stuff. And so I, I want, I mean, you kind of gave us... Um, uh, the response from the secure some of the members of the Security Council. I wonder, you know, if you gotten response from any, uh, maybe outside of America or outside of of Western countries. Well, I, I, well, can you rephrase that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you know, because I think that it was it was big, right? You you spoke in front of members from several different countries at the United Nations Security Council. Um, and so I know that, you know, there was also a woman there who we've had on the show who was the executive director of the International Human Rights Commission. Uh, uh, you know, I just wonder outside of like Western influence, right, if, if, if maybe there were other members from different countries who really heard what you had to say of what's happening in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Well, there were, but I'm not exactly sure about the reaction because not, most of them did not approach because I mm-hmm. think it's a very sensitive subject to them. Right. So uh, can, can you tell us where you are now? Are you living in Turkey? Are you in the United States? Are you, you know, what's your next step? Well, I am in the United States here, and my next step is to 
to, to, to make my retirement successful. It's my third month in the country and I'm still retiring. And then is to make to to start to make a plea to to to, to start and help the people that uh, that's still in Turkey or in the neighboring countries like Lebanon and others to help them to get safety through my, my work and in Oran and to help them to to to, to flourish and to have to, to have like a decent life somewhere safe for them. And just to repeat that, uh, Subi works for Orem, the Organization for Refuge, Asylum, and Migration. So it's um, another another way to you know protect LGBTQ people uh, who are suffering and being persecuted against in countries like Syria. I, you know, I had always. Um, I, we we also work with another woman who does this type of work, but with uh, refugees from African nations. And so, you know, would this be the focus then right now is to 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 get asylum for some of those who are you know currently trying to flee a country like Syria? Well, well, if if, if asylum in in the country like Syria, I think it I think Syria does not do any asylum. That's that's what I know. Is, is, is the goal then to get them, when they leave Syria, to go to another country that they can get asylum in other countries, whether it's oh, the United sorry, States sorry. or Turkey or something? Sorry, I did not hear the question. What, what, about, what about folks from Syria who need asylum in other countries? Is, is that a goal to, for example, work with the U.S. State Department to get it to give attention to granting asylum? Yes, yes, that's definitely that, that, that's the goal. Yeah, definitely. Subi, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on our program here and for sharing your personal story and uh, for doing the work that you're doing with the Organization for Refuge, Asylum, and Migration. Good luck to you. Thank you. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. We turn our attention from the Middle Eastern countries of persecution to discrimination right here in this country. Even though it is legal uh, for marriage equality and uh, same-sex couples to obtain marriage and marriage licenses, a county in Kentucky absolutely came out and denied a gay couple their marriage license. Don't go away. The interview up next. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org. Download our free app in iTunes. 
and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, August 25th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Yes, sir. Extremely scary, you know, just uh, kind of coming off of that interview with the Subi. And um, I... I, I mean, I feel the emotion of him feeling such gratitude for being able to escape you know, the conditions he was living in in Syria. Um, and I feel for the rest of, of, of everyone who's being terrorized by these groups, really. Well, just what he was talking about, being in his, in his town and it's taken over by really the most extreme radicals you can imagine who actually glorify in mm-hmm. torturing and killing people. Right. And knowing that you're the, exactly the type of person they would glorify and torture, torturing and killing. I mean, that that uh, I'm very glad he got out, and I'm very sad that there are a lot of people who do not get out of that. Well, like we said before the break, we're turning our attention from uh, persecution of LGBTQI people in a country like Syria to dim- discrimination right here in our home country. And we'll go to Kentucky. Our next guest is half of a gay couple who were denied their marriage license when a clerk uh, in the Rowan County clerk uh, in Kentucky explained that it was against her personal views um, to give them their marriage license. So let's welcome David Moore to the program. David, welcome. David? Yeah, sorry, thank you for having me. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes, there you are. I'm <laughs> very, very happy yeah. for you to be with us. Um, so, yes, we know that you and your your husband to be hopefully soon, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of confusing at this point, uh, have been denied your marriage license by a clerk. Um, talk to us about, you know, what happened. So you went up to get your marriage license and this person just flat out said no. Yeah, actually, we went in, and uh, the way the office is set up, you don't actually get to talk to the main uh, county clerk right away. They have deputy clerks. There were, I think, four or five of those uh, in front. So they kind of told us that they weren't issuing marriage licenses. We didn't actually get to the counter before they kind of screamed across the room and asked us why we were there um, (laughs) to tell us that, you know, they're not issuing licenses. and we said that we wanted to come up to the counter and we wanted to talk to someone. There was some confusion. At one point, uh, one of the clerks told us that we had to talk to Kim Davis directly, who is the county clerk. Um, so we said, can we talk to her? Can we get a meeting? And, and they told us we could. So we waited until she came out um, to tell us to her face. Basically, I wanted to talk to her, to her face. Now, we know that uh, she, of course, is rather famously uh, set in her ways, if you will, on this. I mean, did you get the sense that the the uh, deputy clerks, they were all of the same uh, mindset or some of them are just following her orders? I mean, any sense of, of are they all of the same mind? Um, well, she had to testify already um, in a hearing um, with ACLU. So she has said that I believe five of her clerks do not want to issue licenses either. Um, two of them, one of them says they would. And one of them is kind of on the fence. They're kind of undecided. Um, it should be said that also her son is one of her deputy clerks. And he, he does not want to do it either, as far as I know. Oh, 
Yeah, interesting. And just to remind everyone, what David's referring to is that the ACLU has sued the Rowan County clerk, Kim Davis, in Rowan County on behalf of four couples and two who are same uh, sex couples and two opposite gender couples um, that were denied marriage licenses by Kim Davis. Um, David, I, I, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I mean, do clerks actually have the right to not issue marriage licenses to people if they don't want to in Kentucky or in Rowan well, County? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it is the law and Apparently, there are two other counties where clerks are doing the same thing. Um, all the other counties, they are doing it regardless of what they believe. Um, as far as we know, there's no there's no um, religious accommodations bill, but that that's what they want to pass right now. So that's what they're trying to get through is a bill um, that will allow like religious accommodations for county clerks. Basically, they would they could, they could opt out, but it would be like an online system or someone else in their office could issue it. To me, that's not really serving the public. I don't see how you can just say, I'm only going to serve certain people. You know, this is an elected position. We actually, I actually voted for Kim Davis because she was a Democrat. <laughs> make, does right. make one wonder what the Republican would have been like then. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, there, there are Republicans who are just doing their job. I mean, it's just your job. You either do your job or you don't. You know, your religious belief is still... No one has taken away their rights to believe whatever they want. They can believe whatever they want. They can judge me however they want. They can be disgusted by it. But ultimately, that's a separate thing than what your job is. Your job is to serve the public. And if you if you can't do it because you don't, you know, you want to, it's basically discrimination against, you know, a certain segment of the population. I don't see how you can do that, but that's what's happening. Well, And, and there's, there's really... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, this this argument that keeps popping up from these public officials who want to say it's against my religious beliefs to do this and therefore that trumps what I was hired to do. I mean, they weren't hired to be religious uh, uh, determinants of anything right. there. They were hired to issue wedding licenses. Now, and as I understand it, she in her office, her, her mostly self same or family, let's just call it her compound. Uh, anyway, I shouldn't be joking about this, but I mean, so she and her family, they're not issuing any licenses. That's correct. To straight or gay couples. That's right. After uh, the Supreme court's decision, um, June 26, she decided not to issue any licenses. And that was her way of trying to say that she was not discriminating because they were just weren't giving them out period. So what's she doing all so, day long? Just sitting at her desk with her feet up. I mean, she doesn't, Collecting uh, well, taxpayer money? Yeah, that's a good point. Is she getting paid for not doing her job? Uh, yes, we're paying her to, to do this. I'm paying her to discriminate against me is what's happening. That's so a good that's point. So is this going too far, though? But, I mean, if she's, um, she's I, to me, it's it's pretty much breaking the law. It is the law that you that you must issue marriage licenses to those who apply and, you know, and, and pay for the fee and all that. So can't she be arrested or taken away? I mean, it sounds harsh, for, <laughs> but... Citizen's arrest? I, I really don't know for sure. No one seems to want to go there with it. The ACLU does not seem to want to go there with it. As far as we know, um, our lawyers told us if what's happened is uh, there was a, an injunction. So there's, it's already gotten to the point where there's been a, a, like an injunction from the federal judge who ordered that she had to do it, but it's been, it was appealed, of course, immediately, and now there's a stay. Well, so, let's... Uh, it- 
Let's talk about, um, you, you know, your relationship and just kind of paint a picture for for all of our listeners here in the uh, how how incredibly discriminating, you know, not issuing your marriage licenses. It's not like you and David, uh, your husband should be husband. Um it's not you're both Davids, by the way. I should mention that <laughs> just to let people know I did not get that confused. David Moore, David Ermold. Um, that uh, it's not like you guys just woke up, uh, you know, and you just met yesterday and you said, yeah, "Let's go get hitched because we can," you know, in uh-huh. in Kentucky, right? You've been together for a long time. Yes, we've been together for 17 years. Um, he is from Pennsylvania. I am from Kentucky. He moved down here to be with me 17 years ago. Um, we moved to Rowan County 11 years ago, and we bought a house here 10 years ago. So we've been paying on our house for 10 years. Um, I work at the university here, and, you know, we feel like this is our home, and this is our home county now. We feel like we're the same as everybody else, you know, we're equal to everyone else, but apparently not everybody feels that way. What well, what is the local public re- reaction about this? I mean, I assume you know you've got friends and family who support you, but I mean, people who maybe recognize you on the street or that you hear in conversations around town. I mean, is it a conservative area that is mostly saying, "Yep, well, she's right," you know, or are well, they? I would say, go ahead. I would say that Kentucky, of course, is conservative mm-hmm. overall in general. I'm from like more eastern Kentucky, so I kind of grew up in that area where it was very conservative. Uh, this county actually is a little is actually more progressive and liberal. It really is because we have the university here, um, and people come here and work here, and we have, you know, we have diversity and inclusion policies, and people end up living here, and so it creates kind of a community of more liberal people. So we've had a lot of support from the community. People are shocked and surprised at what's going on in this county, because the surrounding counties are generally more uh, conservative. You mentioned you voted for her last time. When is she up for re-election? <laughs> 2018. Ugh. So, and her her stance is she will not be issuing any licenses. So there will be no more weddings in Rowan County while she is in office. That, that's going to be a great bumper sticker. Vote for me. No one gets married. <laughs> you yeah. don't need marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's my next question, though. I mean, so what happens now for for you and David? I, I mean. Uh, there's got to be outrage from the public and the people, and there's got to be something that we can do. I get it that there, are, you know, the ACLU has sued, and there are some legal, um, you know, lawsuits there that could that may be able to move this forward. But until then, are people just supposed to sit back and not get married officially? Well, I mean, that's kind of what's happened. There's no way around it. We we went to the judge executive, who, um, according to some of the Kentucky statutes, they're, they're supposed to be able to issue a license if, if the county clerk is absent. We actually went back on August 13th um, after the injunction to try again, and we, we and they denied us again, and we talked to the judge executive, and he said he couldn't really do it. He doesn't really want to get involved. Um, <laughs> so we really, we really don't know. I, I don't know. Well, he, he doesn't want to take, if he takes responsibility for it, I feel like then she will say it is, his, it is now his responsibility, and she, you know, she will no longer be tied to it, which is not, that's not fair either. I mean, but, you know, we're kind of hanging out to see if it actually, if it actually works its way through the court system a little bit faster. Our lawyers say that the marriage license thing will probably happen, you know, maybe by the end of the year, maybe it will work out as far as injunctions go and forcing something to happen. As far as like hearings go, I mean, we filed our own lawsuit and they told us that will take years to resolve. 
You, you so mentioned that. Hopefully, we'll be able to get married sooner than later. Yeah, you mentioned the lawsuits. You're not a party of to this uh, class action lawsuit that's against her. Am I right? We are not a party to the ACLU suit. They took four couples initially. Um, Straight and gay. I'm sorry. We we're not a part of the ACLU lawsuit, and they took four couples. Um, initially, we contacted them before we even talked to our lawyers, but they they it's like that was what, that was all they wanted for the time being. I don't know if later on if they're going to add more people to a class action once they get through some of the hearings. I don't know. No, I think they might have a different goal. I don't know that. I don't know their goal is exactly the same. Sure. Our goal. Now I could hear so, someone maybe listening to this and thinking. You guys knew they weren't going to issue the licenses when you went there. I mean, this was not a random, you know, oh, maybe she's feeling better today and we'll issue the license. <laughs> uh, well, yes. No, go ahead. I mean, <laughs> how long did you kind of plan ahead that this is what we're going to do and we know it's going to turn out negatively? We didn't really know for sure it would turn out negative. We knew, we knew what had happened with the other couple. It had been like a week since the first couple went in and they said no, and she said she wasn't doing it. Um, as far as I knew, nobody, I didn't know that anyone had actually talked to her. I wanted to talk to her face-to-face, and I thought maybe if if she could see us as people, you know, if she could see us as deserving the same rights that she has had the privilege of having her whole life, you know, if I could just talk to her a little bit, and I did. I thought, I, we talked, and she got kind of emotional. You know, I told her how long we've been together and everything, and I thought maybe, maybe she might change I, Literally, it could have happened. Like, she could have just changed her mind right then. I really don't know. But we also wanted to go in, and we want to get a license in the county that we live in, in our home county. You know, we we recorded it to kind of document it because we feel like that's kind of the only power we have. People will say, oh, it didn't happen the way you, you say it happened if we didn't record it. So we wanted to record it. You know, and in the event that we did get a license, that would have been great to have that, you know, filmed for later to look at, but now we look at it and it's depressing, but... Well, sure, but a lot of people have, you know, wedding videos and you have the anti-wedding video, so it's kind of um, a balance. Yeah, I mean, every... Yeah, yep. Well, it's a good thing you didn't ask her for a wedding cake. (laughs) (laughs) David, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here today, and uh, good luck. I know, you know, it's got to be tough, and I I feel horrible. At the same time, though, I I have every belief that this will work itself out because, again, uh, Kim Davis, you're breaking the law. This can't go on forever. I I think one last question, and and I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to be a bitch or anything, but (laughs) is she even married? Do you know if she's married? I don't know the current status. We have been told that she has been married four times, but I do not know if that is true. And I do not know if she is currently married. I know that two, I believe two of her children work in her office under her. I don't know if she's currently married. I really uh, something so wrong with this picture. <laughs> Again, good luck to you and David. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, hang in there. I, I know it'll work out. And, uh, and we know that, you know, the ACLU does do good work. And this is what we, we knew we expected to continue fighting. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. We will keep fighting. The Michelle Meow Show continues right after this. John Zipper and, and I, and an I, I, and I, <laughs> will uh, conclude the show. So don't go away.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The inspirational street requiem mourns the innocents who've died on the street, but also offers hope for the future to those who are struggling. Street Requiem premieres in California on Saturday, August 29, 7 p.m. at Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco, and on Sunday, August 30, 2 p.m. at the Congregational Church of San Mateo. Tickets from only $15 are available at streetrequiem.blogspot.com, streetrequiem.blogspot.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on today's program. It's August 25th. This Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. We had a pretty... um, Intense couple of topics. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, uh, you definitely want to go back and get the rest of this program if you're, right. because you've missed a lot. Right. Uh, Subi Nahas, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy and very glad that he was given that platform to speak to the United Nations Security Council regarding the persecution of LGBTQ people in the Middle East, especially in that, you know, in the area of Syria and having a, a heavy... Um, you know, heavy, uh, I guess, uh, a lot of people from <laughs> ISIS, the people where they're, you know, they're concentrating and focusing in that region. ISIS wants to control Syria like it wants to control a lot of that region. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, probably one of the most dangerous places in the world right now. Not just for LGBTQ folks, we should obviously right. point out. Uh, religious minorities, uh, I mean, what, uh, yeah. just about everyone, everybody. Yeah, everyone, I was just <laughs> going to say. And then our second interview was uh, with a gentleman who he and his husband, I'm going to say it, it's his husband. You know, he got that far to go get the marriage license. He was turned away by the county clerk uh, of uh, Rowan. Is that how you pronounce it? Rowan? It is now. Okay. I said Rowan. I think he said Rowan. Rowan County in Kentucky. Who turned him away, but not only gay couples, straight couples as well. She's just straight up not issuing marriage licenses. Um, it's kind of a funny take, well, you know, in a stupid, tragic way um, of, you know, the, the claims of some on the right uh, when it came to gay marriage or same-sex marriage and, and them saying, oh, well, this will, you know, harm straight marriage in some unbelievable way. And so the, she's making it harm straight marriage, too, by just not letting anyone have a 
marriage license. Yeah, I don't understand that argument, you know, and this uh, is part of our wrap-up uh, conversation here. We're going to play a video very shortly, video audio for you guys listening <laughs> on the radio. Um, but, uh, you know, this whole argument of it harming you know, straight couples and their relationship and marriage, well, straight marriages are continuing to end up in divorce. So I think there's no harm there. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're the only ones who want to get married. Actually, did you, did you see in that first debate, uh, John Kasich, the, the uh, Ohio governor, he actually was asked a question about same-sex marriage. And uh, he, he gave probably one of the best responses we're going to get from a Republican in this day and age, which is that, yeah, it's not what he believes in. He just, he doesn't really feel it's not you know traditional marriage, et cetera, et cetera. Except, you know what? I was at a I don't know if it was a friend's or a relatives who was you know marrying his boyfriend or whatever, and good for them. I mean, it, it's it's worth looking up because obviously he didn't say the exact words I mm-hmm. just said, mm-hmm. but it was someone who mm-hmm. was trying to tie together. Yeah, you might not like this, but a it's the law. B this is love. Right. Learn learn to live with it. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because we're headed into, right, uh, uh, the presidential election season. It's I've getting, heard of it, you know, yeah. Yes, you may have heard of it. And so, um, you know, Donald Trump said the other day that he thought mar- the conversation about marriage equality and gay marriage, you know, was a dead topic. Um, and Me- I think, meaning uh, what? You know, I think I, to me, I interpreted as he wants to build that wall. So <laughs> that doesn't happen. You know, he doesn't want to build a wall in front of a church. He wants to build that wall, or, uh, you know, to prevent uh, immigrants from from coming in. And so I think he's focused on that right now. So he doesn't think that that's, you know, probably it's not a moneymaker to him. Or well, something. Well, and that was something that uh, a number of folks in the political world were, were saying before the Supreme Court ruled, which was that there are a certain number of Republicans who just want the Supreme Court to to okay it so that it's off the table, so that mm-hmm. it's not a weapon that can be used against them because, and the, the funny thing is, it's really a weapon they use against themselves. They just keep hitting themselves over the head with it, even though, you know, poll after poll just increasingly shows that larger majorities of folks um, support same-sex marriage. So, yeah, he may well be one. John Kasich is one who's obviously trying to just move past it as a as a, mm-hmm. as a a as an issue, but also I, I thought in a, in a more humane way than Donald Trump, who wants to build a wall with a door in it for the, quote, good ones to come through. <laughs> well, you're just going back to the Davids who were denied their marriage license um, in Kentucky and by that county clerk. I mean, this is the type of behavior that uh, obviously the LGBTQ community and activists had been anticipating or we expected that after the Supreme Court decision this past summer that gave us marriage equality in all 50 states. And so the ACLU, NCLR, m- most of those, uh, you know, organizations, even if freedom to marry plans to shut down, um, those guys still have to go to work. We still need the the legal scholars and the attorneys and those types of people do, you know, yes, file lawsuits against people who clearly break the law. And you'll see that that will continue to be a fight as well as trying to pass the Equality uh, Act, you know, which is something that you know, has just been introduced that we've talked about here before. Um, I want to play this for you, John, before we end the show. But Ellen Page, the actress who came out, the Canadian actress, who's mm-hmm. a tiny pint, but super <laughs> uh, big in a lot of ways, you know, big as in the movies, I, uh, I star of Juno, yeah. blah, 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 Oscar nominated, by the way, actress, um, found herself in Iowa at some, um, you know, fair thing that they do out there, (laughs) fry corn dogs or whatever. (laughs) 
is. But uh, and 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 basically confronted Ted Cruz, who's a presidential candidate, uh, about LGBT rights. And the audio, I have to apologize, it's extremely bad. So I might have to tweet to Ellen Page, like, "Come on now, you must have people who follow you around with cameras and well, she did. That was audio the whole point. equipment." She was there with her. Okay. Show. Well, I don't know why the audio is so bad, Ellen. Shame, shame. <laughs> so let's take a listen and try to to you know. Yes, you'll you'll hear the majority of the conversation at least. Okay, so I think you get the gist of it. I mean, you know, it's Ted Cruz explaining that it's Christians who are being persecuted against. And so while ISIS and ISIL and all these extreme organizations are beheading LGBTQI people, uh, Ted Cruz wants to say that, uh, you know, the Kim Davis and the whoever else who are breaking the law are actually being persecuted against. Yeah, David, uh, one of the David we interviewed there just a little few minutes ago, uh, I think hit it all right on the head where he said he thought, you know, a number of folks there are just kind of waiting for another one of these religious freedom sort of protection acts that allows someone to discriminate if they're Christian enough um, or Christian-y enough, really, because that's not Christian. Um, I do think, though, with, you know, the Davids bringing the camera to the county clerk and Ellen Page uh, ambushing Ted Cruz with the camera, I think we're going to get to the point where people are just going to run the other way when they see an LGBT person coming toward them with a camera. <laughs> Oh, I look like a big scary <laughs> butch. <laughs> I'm gonna go viral in a bad way, right? Um, you know, I but I also do feel that this argument uh, we need to be able to call bullshit on these types of things that they say when you know cr- no, Christians are not being persecuted against here. Christians are still able to practice freely here in this country, as is a Muslim, as you know, does a Jew, and and everyone else here. Um, you know, but when you are a business owner in America, that means you provide business to Americans. Well, and, and the core of that is, you know, the, the people have raised this with the wedding, uh, wedding cakes and, and with, you know, this wedding chapel sort of thing. And it's like, just because you have a business in which a gay couple does business, that does not mean you're participating in their ceremony. They didn't right. invite you. Right. <laughs> you're, you're doing a business transaction. Now, if they invite you and they want you to stand up at the wedding, you're welcome to say... No, thanks. I don't. I, I'm busy that day. And I like what you said to David, too, though. It's not like a Kim Davis or any of these people who want to use their personal beliefs as justification for not serving someone. It's not like you were hired 
right? As a Christian, right. like, you know what I mean? Like, right. please uh, stand up to your personal views here and, and, and tell these people to bugger off. Um, that's not what you're hired for. You're hired to issue marriage licenses. You're, you, you, you created a business that you are going to bake a cake to a customer. Um, it just drives me nuts. And like I said, again, I mean, we I love what Ellen Page is doing. And I think that more and more actresses, actors or anybody with any public image or uh, Twitter followers or YouTube or YouTube people. So even <laughs> those types of online celebrities, you can do good, too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here today. I always have a good time with John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. You can hear all of our podcasts at commonwealthclub.org slash meow. <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, the same time. And for everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. See you tomorrow. Thank you.